welcome to the Inclusive Leader Podcast. The practice of inclusive leadership enables us to tackle the complex challenges of our times. This is the space for conversations about inclusive leadership. I am your host, Jörg Schmitz, and I welcome you to this episode. Here is part two of our conversation. How do you help people understand that they've got to stop and step back in order to make change. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm not sure. uh, And I I think you have to grapple with it. There are no easy answers, right? And and I'm I'm curious to see what all of you think about that. That's the biggie, Melanie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but this is the challenge, right? I mean, but I think this is is what um, Akosua was trying to say. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm using first and last names interchangeably, and 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 this is the same thing that that um, Ima and Jacques were mentioning around personal mosaic. I mean, mosaic is perhaps just another way of looking at intersectionality, and in our own biography, in our own personal experience, as um, um, as Stephanie reminded us, and I think that's where this lives. You know, these, and we all. Um, embody these tensions, right? With a little, with variation, you know, like if I look at myself, I never had to, you you know, look at the painful parts of history that, that I, my existence and my being is, is implicated in, right? I mean, because we can, we can, we can not take a historical view of things. Absolutely. Right. We can, we can, we can, we can, we can, um, you know, live with, the, what what is called sometimes pri- as privilege, and even though I, I really struggle with the, the this terminology, I think it's it's not the best terminology, but it it is accurate. You know, I grew up with a lot of privilege. I did not, you know, have to think much. The world was built for me. You know, as a man, as a and as a white man, um, you know, and even the label white is acquired for me because that's not how I grew up thinking about my own identity. And when I came to the U.S., I, I noticed I, that I, I, there were boxes for me on forms to um, to identify myself as white. And that was a new concept. I mean, it's not a mystery to me that I'm rather pale. I wouldn't even call it white. But that's not what was meant, right? It's There was a cultural distinction that was made. And um, and th- that's why this, this idea of traveling outside of our worldview is so important. The, the white-black division or you know categories or hispanic or whatever we want to add to it is just one way of looking at the world of diversity and this is where the problem starts when we are doing diversity especially from a global perspective that you know guess what in other parts of the world yes they are also making differentiations between people there is ranking going on all the time as as malini you just said it's it's but it's around different categories and different stories and histories. And um, and that requires a bit of a humility, right? To just simply saying, my worldview gives me one take on diversity, but that's not all there is. And, and, and cultivating that mindset and consciousness is important. That's why coming back to this, the practicality of it, that's what I love about what Ima and Jacques are doing around self-diversity. Um, because it's, I think that's where it starts connecting ourselves to our own experiences 
building our own mosaic and understanding what that looks like in interaction to May, your point around these T groups um, and understanding this is about me, this is also about others. How does this play out in interactions? And how do I raise consciousness to the meta level, Malini, right? Yep. And if we, and and then and if we can't do that, we're not doing the work, I believe. Yeah, and you know that word humility has such power. Mm-hmm. Your, you know, if you just stop and ask yourself, you know, why am I here? You know, what's the reason behind this? That word humility. Sometimes, if you can just use that in the moment, um, it it serves so much for us to learn about ourselves, right? Um, and, and the notion of serving others with humility. Mm-hmm. And I think that that humility process is also um, something that life gives you exposure to in terms of awareness of this mosaic, right? Or building the skill to um, seeing the world from another perspective or from somebody else's perspective. I think that's something really slow, right? And that it's harder and harder in my mind to to continue to build because we're all right connected virtually in our homes or in our little spaces, right? And this skill, right, to me, it's being exposed to diversity, being exposed to those harsh identity moments where you say, oh, I I came from this privileged background that I don't have anymore in this other country. I'm now an immigrant. I'm not the elite or whatever. I used to be very privileged, not anymore, right? All these hard um, sensations, I think, happens. And what I love about what we're talking, it's a little bit of an acceleration process, right? When we talk about race or colonialism or, I don't know, segregation, spirituality, I think it, it also makes you reflect and um, connect with your own, you know, things in a more accelerated way. So I don't know if it happened to you as well while listening to the spotlight sessions or Melanie, in your case, you were the protagonist, but um, maybe there was some sort of acceleration process as well for you. Yes, absolutely. You know, there was. And I like that word acceleration, Stephanie, because we are all moving. We have to, it, it's a journey, right? So you're moving towards something. And there are so many different ways in which you can move, right? And 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 to stir things up a little, and people may not always buy it right away. So you got to step back and ask, how can I get them there? You know, as leaders, um, and as as um, as people, as human beings. Uh, so yes, you're, you're right. It's an acceleration process. I mean, I and, and you know that word wisdom. Um, she she almost um, it, 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 she always was apologizing for using the word wisdom, right? I have to tell you that in Sanskrit, that is a very a language that is important for me. It's a very important word because uh, vignanam vignanam is knowledge that translates into wisdom. Mm-hmm. Vignanam, right? So for me. That's what we're trying to do, hopefully, with these spotlight sessions, is to provide the knowledge that can translate into that wisdom that people can see to step back and say, how can I make some changes to myself first? Yeah. Because it's not going to happen until you make some changes to yourself first. And to me, this is actually so important to the mission of this whole thing, why we're doing this, right? I mean, to me, it's about stimulating 
and activating collective wisdom. Um, to, to, to just tee off your, your, your point, Malini, and I think it's about acceleration, but it's ex about acceleration in a world that is simultaneously also putting its foot on the brakes. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, when you when I look at the world, it, we're in, we are truly at cross, significant crossroads. There are humongous challenges of a complexity that we need to address that we can't ignore anymore. <laughs> I think we've, you know, we, we've 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 reached a threshold level where we just can't ignore it anymore, um, and we have for a long time. But that means we need to galvanize the capability to organize, to, you know, at a level that we've never as human beings had to organize before. The, the, the most significant level we've ever come to is probably organizing in global entities, like global organizations are probably a good example of that. And maybe at the United Nations level to some degree, but neither of those forms of organizing as ineffective and difficult as they are is is we, we we need to add scale to this now we need to organize at even more profound levels right and that's we've never as human beings never had to organize this way and if i sound like an anthropologist now then <laughs> that's just you know that it's not, not my accident <laughs> yeah and and it's a dr bennett said it's a constantly shifting process we know that Yes. But, you know, he talks about it's a con. So you've got to teach right. people how to fish because tomorrow the fish will be different. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, in the world of inclusiveness, you, it's a process. That, you know, today it's this, tomorrow it might be something completely different. But if you don't help people to say it's a process of understanding that can be applied anywhere, anytime, then I think we've, we've lost it, right? So somehow to be able to step back and help people learn how to fish. And that, I mean, like May said, that's the million dollar challenge, but that's what I think we're all talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. That is so beautiful, Malini. Uh, I just, you know, whenever I'm talking to folks in the uh, uh, talent acquisition world, you know, they are just stumped with how to fish and you know <laughs> where where to yes. find the fish that they're looking for because they really don't know and they don't really understand diversity and they don't understand diversity of thought at, at all. Uh, so even you know it, it's just such a uh, an area that uh, we need to go much deeper on than we have ever gone before. And I just uh, I get so concerned uh, when people only consider diversity, just race, you know, maybe national orientation, LGBT, people with disabilities, gender. I get really concerned about that because even when you look at one group, one ethnic group, one nationality, one race that we come up with called race, people think differently. I have different experiences and I don't think just like other black people just because I'm black. So I, but you know, I, I think that there is a perception out there that I, I would. <laughs> so just, mm -hmm. just recruit any, any, you know, black person, right. 
Well, I think that we're wanting diversity of thought. Absolutely. Too amongst that group of people. We want diversity of thought amongst every group of people. And uh, how to get that that message across? I don't know. I have because it doesn't seem to be penetrating. Maybe, Jorg, well, we can come up with something that's going to be beneficial. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if we could just solve that. But, you know, that's, I mean, I, I mean, I, I share your deep concern because while it is important to understand, I mean, if going back to history, right? History is a group, is a, is a group level process, a social process, a group level experience. But that doesn't mean that we all of a sudden are all the same, right? So bringing nuanced understanding to this um is is and and is is so important and yet it is so difficult at the same time and it's even more difficult to operationalize it in you know in talent systems and processes but but that's the challenge before us right i mean and that's that's where i think true innovation can happen and needs to happen um and i think it's possible if we are willing to shift our consciousness a little bit and shift our understanding and and this is what excites me about bringing all these different thought leaders together and experiences together that we can actually potentially pave a way for a different type of DEI conversation and not only a different DEI conversation also a different type of um activation of this consciousness um and this is why I'm I'm so excited about this idea of inclusive leadership it's an emerging leadership idea you know, it's not by it's it's emerging. So there's a lot to shape and to create and to research and to understand. And I link, I believe, Malini, it's de deeply tied to the idea of servant leadership, but it's adding a layer of of understanding on top of servant leadership that it hasn't been fully, you know, brought into the all the 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 idea of servant leadership. Um, and and it, it is what we need to organize at that next level that we need to organize. And 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 we can only do that if we find the right talent and, and bring it together in environments that are that that bring the best of all these mosaics out. <laughs> you know, I mean I don't know how else to, to and, and keep asking the tough questions. Keep yeah. asking the tough. Don't settle for easy answers because you cannot sometimes solve all this in a couple of sessions or just right. in one thinking, one go around. But you've got to be willing to grapple with the gray, which I think is very hard for a lot of our minds, which wants to put things in black and white. Right. That gray. You know, I talk about double loop learning in my session, and I strongly, strongly advocate that, right? So single loop learning is focused on learning from actions. Double loop learning says, focus on the assumptions you made. That's right. Yes. And, and I mean, it's it, all these sound trite, they sound simple, but in the moment, if you can just stop and ask those questions, uh, and and say, okay, I don't have an answer right now, but I have to live with this for a while till I get to the right answer, not just a check the box answer, right? I think we need to keep doing more of that. Yeah. And I think in that exercise of activating our consciousness, it's also about what we don't know and what are the questions that are unresolved, right? Um, May, you, you mentioned, right, on that point that you would like to understand better. And I think that was also a consequence of the experience of listening through these sessions where I said, oh, this is something 
we haven't yet explored. We're behind. Um, it's a world out there that uh, we would need to investigate more, do some research. So um, this question that I have for you is also about what we don't know. If you have a little bit more to share on, on the questions that triggered for you the spotlight sessions, that would be great to hear as well. Okay, so I'm not sure if this directly answers your question, but this is something that I think um, yeah, probably, probably does. So when we talk about groups of people and where we put them and the rankings, et cetera, indigenous people uh, don't show up very often on the radar at all. So what I don't know is enough about their histories, their, you know, what, what, what did we do as human beings um, to create this, this notion of othering that has throughout the world created problems for them. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe, you know, that's a, maybe um, it's more a tactical thing, Stephanie, rather than a more, you know, uh, bringing to my consciousness other things that are out there that I don't know. But one of the tactical things that is on my radar to learn more about and to find out is why, well, I, maybe I know why, but the process by which these human beings have been hurt throughout the world and why we're not doing enough to even raise that consciousness to the world. Some of it's happening, but I don't think we're doing enough. So that keeps coming back to me as I listen to the speakers, right? Uh, because I talk, we, each of us talked about our own uh, experiences of feeling like we don't belong. But what about the indigenous population? And it has happened like York. If you look at every continent, it's been a pattern, mm -hmm. you know. And and for those of you who don't know, it happens in India in in a big way. And social social equity programs are trying to address that. Um, but it isn't very obvious. It's not talked yeah. about. It's not in the open. Thanks, Madani, for sharing that. May York. What's on your One of the things that is so difficult for me uh, to help people with is addressing their fears and um, what would it take for them to have the courage that it would take mm -hmm. for them to start practicing a different habit because they're used to their habits. They're comfortable with their habits. They you know, they're not really sure what will happen if they change their their habits. You know, will they still be received by their, their group of people around them or will they be rejected? I mean, I, I, there's so many things that I think people are concerned about. Um, but that is something that really does concern me is how do I how do I help people? Number one, identify what their fear is, what's causing their fear. And uh, I think that this has to really start early in life and in, in our, you know, at young age, you know, it seems like the kindergartens aren't afraid of anything. They just are out there playing with everybody. They love, you know, they want to play and it's just fun. And I just love the little kids because they're not looking at trying to do identity anything. Uh, so they have a, a goal, their vision, you know, let's play. Uh, but with adults, it's quite different, Stephanie. And I don't know if we really understand what that 
is, what that little thing is. Now, Melanie has addressed it a little bit in what she has spoken about and what her experience has been. Uh, however, I'm still somewhat very, very concerned because people are afraid. And I think it's giving up power. That's something I want to understand this power dynamic a little bit more. But this fear thing, can we del delve into what is fear? I don't know. We don't teach neurodiversity in schools. So kids don't really understand how, how, how we're wired mm -hmm. and what we can do to unwire some things. <laughs> uh, so I think it starts way back in the school system. Well said, May. I think that's, that's, that's very crucial. I like what you said. Um, York, what about you? What are you thinking? Oh, there are so many, many things that I'm thinking about and that I hope we can, we can develop further. I mean, some we have already mentioned, like, like language and, and the, the language culture connection, English, non-native, native, you know, there, there, there's a lot, there's a lot more to do. Also, I think we need to, you know, dig deeper into religion and religious diversity. You know, it's it's one of those things that are so essential to our, and this is ultimately where I would like to go, really an exploring of identity. I mean, personally, I think that has a lot to do with the fear reaction you talked about, um, May, and and identity is one of those things that is difficult, um, and it's also infinitely expandable, you know, I mean, that's the good news, <laughs> you know, we think it's a limited resource, but it's actually extremely expandable, and and I think that's Focusing on identity is a little, little, is important. And then one thing, because this is a, a dimension of identity, obviously we know that sexuality is, but I think, and, and yeah, I mean this quite sincerely, in all of the discussions around sexuality and gender, men are still kind of off the hook, <laughs> you know? I mean, men are not in the habit of talking about what it's like to be a man in the world, what it's like to be a man at work, right? And it's a very simple thing. I don't mean this is not about you know, you know, some kind of critical, you know, and and a challenging notion. But when we and I say we now, we men are not used to talking about what it's like to the male experience for all the things we know about privilege and 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 so forth, right? And and I would love to make some inroads there um, and normalizing just how for women have to think about what it's like to be a woman or a minority in the workplace or in, a, in the culture. That's, that's you wake up with that realization. Um, you know, men don't, you know, and it's a choice. And I would like to somehow, you know, make it safe to make that choice, you know, somehow. Yeah, and, and ultimately, to me, it all connects to, again, I'm bringing up Laura Liswood now around this, this elephant and the mouse dynamic she describes. To me, it's all anchored in insider-outsider dynamics. This may see, seem like a very abstract idea, and it can be, and it is an abstract idea, but we need to personalize that idea. That leads us to the mosaic and to us being reflections of history. And so to me, that's the gateway into a change in consciousness. Just going back to your male um, comment, getting to know me, 
of the suicides in the United States are men. Yeah. So I think it's critical to start exploring this. Yeah. And some of it, I think, is based on what you're just saying about it being yeah. unexplored. And, and that's why I think it's so dangerous to use, to carelessly yeah. use this idea of privilege. Because, I mean, it, it, it reminds me, Stephanie, since you asked us about a personal, <laughs> personal example, I was just sitting literally at a restaurant and I overheard a conversation um, in the, in, 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 on the next table. And it was a man, I mean, you, you know, talking to, 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 to a group. And they must have just gone through some sort of a diversity training or whatnot. But he was extremely livid um, because of this word, you know, privilege, you know, which and then he said, you know, I've never had privilege. I grew up in a poor family and and and, you, you know, I, I work very hard for what I have and I I struggled. And who are these people who are now telling me I, I, I live some sort of a privileged uh, life? And of course, I mean, I know academically and, and whatnot, that's a totally misunderstanding of the idea of privilege, right? I mean, the, in, in an acad and this is another problem that I have sometimes is that we, we take concepts from that are academically sound and an academic environment where the words make perfect sense and they're well documented and researched and whatnot. And they, they come from, a, from, a, from an academic discourse and we take them into the corporate environment or the organization where we, we just use those words and then they re, they don't resonate or they they get create backlash. And that doesn't mean the idea isn't sound, but the way we deliver it is terrible. Right. Yes. I, I guess I, I I and this is not a non-inclusive, we're already setting up Agreed. backlash and a terribly non-inclusive way of of talking about a really important thing. And why would we do that? Right? And then it becomes our goal for people to understand their privilege when, in fact, we're losing sight that the real goal is social transformation. It's not for us to understand somebody that somebody else gets the idea of privilege. It's, it's about that. Can we actually bring about social transformation? And um, so I'm just saying that because I think there is a, a lot, lot of work that needs to be done in that space. I definitely uh, agree with with that. This whole area of privilege, uh, which is just everybody has advantages in some place, and uh, it just does not go off very well with white males because they, when we talk about yes. it, we all, we're almost like pointing a finger. But if we stop pointing fingers and if we stop coming in with a judgmental attitude and talk about, I have some privileges. I have I have two master's degrees that give me privilege. Uh, you know, my income gives me privilege. Uh, the area that I live in gives me some privilege. Yeah. Uh, everything gives me privilege. Everything, you know, so... Uh, privilege and advantages is not a bad word. It's kind of like the belonging word. It's not a bad word. It's just our experience with it and how, how you know, what it means to us based on our history. Uh, so if we could uh, uh, spend more time giving examples uh, of it, you know, as your speakers did in almost all of the all of the conversations we heard a little bit about 
people that's, you know, where you have some advantages and how to use your that's advantage. Right. So you have use an advantage it. for a reason. Yes. Now we got to yeah. turn it into some behavior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inclusive behaviors. <laughs> I think it's a very hard self-awareness process to dismythify meritocracy as well, right? Like mm. I think about myself as, I earned this master's degree, I earned, you know, my job, I earned this promotion, but it's, I think, an act of humility also to say there was so much given to me that I didn't do anything, right? So I think that's a slow process and a very hard one, right, to, like, see yourself in the mirror in a more honest way. Yeah. And it's slow, right? Maybe a diversity training, like a half-day session will not get it, get you there, no. right? It's a really slow process. And I love the sessions because maybe they're long, maybe they're repetitive, maybe they, you know, they inter, interlap, like the content, right? Maybe um, uh, they're not so different one another, right? But the fact of going again through again this difficult process that inevitably we think about ourselves while we're listening to the experts, right? I think it's the way to go if we want to move forward. So I think we're at the top of the hour of this conversation. And I would like to thank you, right? And ask you if there's any final thought, something that you would like to share to this group. And then we'll close the session. One of the things I did want to kind of finalize was what I got from Samuel, Mark Samuel and Milton Bennett was that if this is going to also be a, a business strategy, mm-hmm. if culture is the organization, if culture is the organization, then this topic is going to really have to change. Uh, our our C-suite uh, people don't understand the magnitude of this whole work. They just don't understand it. If they did, they wouldn't put CDOs in positions that are managers and are 10 levels below the CEO <laughs> that have no impact, no budget, yeah. no no, no support. That, that wouldn't be happening, but that is happening. So consequently, uh, people really still don't understand that this, the, the magnitude, the business, uh, connection to diversity, inclusion, and equity. And if we could do some of those things that Mark Samuel and Milton Benton are talking about so we can build that framework to get a strategy that is going to be sustainable, uh, then we're going to be off and running. But until that happens, we will just still be pattering around, not going anywhere, but but working hard. Yeah, and then we're not leveraging the, the transformational opportunities we have, truly. Correct. Right. And I think, you know, and, and just reflecting on this and, and um, you know, first of all, I, I thank you for, for, for what you said about this effort. Um, but for me, your reflections also help me shape what's next in the Institute, you know, and that's, that, that's equally important, you know. So I'm sitting here and, and, you know, I, I I really want this to become a space where we can take all those challenging thoughts, the unbaked thoughts, the the doubts, the tensions, the contradictions that are riddling this this work, and explore it together in in a safe 
context where we don't make the assumptions of some moral superiority or whatnot, where we or inferiority, not just superiority, but where we can explore the the loose ends, you know, and don't default to simplistic answers or celebrating or or whatnot. When, but where we actually think that inclusive leadership is a key to sustainable DEI efforts. And also DEI efforts that need to expand significantly beyond the scope and the framing that they have have had so far. You know, differences are and diversity is a challenge in the world. You know, at 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 any level. You know, even thinking about social systems, um, economic systems, um, leadership philosophies. Or, or just organizing as a team in in a global organization, relating effectively to others, um, you know, in, on on in, in so in small and in large ways, it's a phenomenal challenge, and we don't quite have figured it out yet. Otherwise, we wouldn't be, um, you know, recreating and looking at the same challenges. So I'm I'm taking this everything that you've said really as a, and I've t- taken some good notes here. I hope. Um, to frame out what what we need to tackle, what we need, where we need to develop resources, where we need to do a little bit of of learning and development together, you know, what ex- experts to invite, and that may come from very different fields actually that can inform this. Right? It's not just that we need to always just listen to DE and I practitioners again. That, that you know, but we actually need to broaden and build an interdisciplinary um, kind of mindset throughout this. Um, but I mean, I, I can't thank you enough for resonating for for resonating with this and and actually building the agenda, you know, and 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 because it's it's emerging. <laughs> That's you know, for me at least, it's a very emerging field of exploration, and we need a container that enables that exploration. Thank you, Jörg. Thanks, Stephanie, for bringing us together and for moderating for us. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you for. The three of you for, you know, having this safe space and sharing our doubts, not just what we know, but what we don't know that I believe it's equally important. So thank you for so much. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for listening. You can sign up for more wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the Inclusive Leader Podcast. To find out more about the Inclusive Leadership Institute, visit us at www.theinclusiveleadershipinstitute.com. Thank you.